Welcome to Making Connections, a WMNT series on diversifying our future. Hello, I'm Mimi Pickering, reporting for Making Connections News. On this episode, we hear from Cecil Roberts, president of the United Mine Workers of America, whose comments on June 12 concluded the 2020 West Virginia Association of Black Lung Clinics annual conference. The participants at this online event included health care providers and staff at black lung clinics, public health officials, researchers, lawyers, and others calling in from the coal fields and beyond. Roberts began his remarks with a video clip of former miners testifying before the House Education and Labor Committee in June of 2019 about contracting black lung at an early age and the urgent need for Congress to pass silica dust standards so more miners do not contract black lung disease. Let me say uh, something about all of you who made this conference uh, happen. Uh, This is a difficult proposition that we're all trying to deal with here. Uh, The doctors, people at all the clinics, the attorneys who have given of themselves in this line of representation. I can stay here all day and rattle off the names of people, but the doctors, the people in the clinics, and the attorneys, uh, the doctors are saving lives. The clinics are providing health care to people who do not uh, have it. If your doors were not open, uh, the coal miners who have gathered together uh, at these uh, black lung associations, whether they're regional, county, state, and national, uh, you have to continue to do this. We're all trying to get to the same place here, and sometimes we're not sure where we're trying to go. But I thought by that opening short video, and that was about, excuse me, about a year ago, it was June the 20th, when there was testimony on Capitol Hill about the problems associated with this disease. Clinics, doctors, attorneys, all of us who are concerned about A, the, the minors who are still working, B, those miners who have contracted terrible disease and, and petitioning our government to do something about it. And I want to, I just want to refresh memory just a tad. On the 19th, the day before this hearing, the United Steelworkers and the United Mine Workers sent a joint letter to inch saying we have to have a standard to deal with silicon at didn't exist then, it doesn't exist now, it causes the worst for black lung. I don't know all the technical, medical, lawyer word used in describing this, but I can tell you that common sense tells every one of the people on that panel up there in Congress, there's a problem and it needs to be fixed. And the only way it's going to get fixed, and uh, I'd like to tell you that this is going to be dealt with up on Capitol Hill. This is at the top of everybody's agenda and they're worried about it. I, I would probably be wrong. So I would like to just take us for a, a, a little trip here from the 20th 
of the day and tell you what I think we, at the end of this, what we, what I think we need to try to do to the extent we can between the clinics and the attorneys and the doctors who are so concerned about this, we need always to be communicating with one another and say, what should we do? What can we do? And how are we going to do it? If this problem is ever dealt with in a, a way that protects the minors who have a job, that gives benefits to those people who have contracted this disease and may actually be dying from it. We have to be in a position to coordinate with one another. We are really good here at the union of uh, speaking truth to power. And I have to tell all of you something. Uh, that's what this is going to do. This is my view of the world, that this is what it's going to come down to for our ability to speak to Congress, have enough power, make people pay attention to us, not only through Appalachia, but everywhere. And I want to just remind everybody of something. And I think there's a link here. Uh, we accomplished something here. People said, you'll never get that done. It's impossible. Uh, we had a 10-year struggle here to protect our pensions and the ones we were fighting for walk in these clinics every day. Uh, they're your clients if you're an attorney. Uh, they're your patients if you're, a, uh, if you're a doctor. If you're doing research, they're the ones you're worried about. We, had a, we started out with nearly 100,000 people in the 1974 pension plan in 2010 when all these bankruptcies started. The reason the pension plan was in trouble was because of the recession in 2008, 2009. We had nothing to do with that recession. There's not a coal miner in McDowell County, West Virginia, in Bluefield, Virginia, or West Virginia, or anywhere in Ohio that had anything to do with that recession, but they were being asked to pay the price for it because almost every pension plan in the country overnight lost billions of dollars. It had nothing to do with these coal miners who had earned these pensions. The other thing that was at threat was what? Health care. And I want to say something to everybody. If you do not have access to good health care and have a medical card and you're aging and you're sick, you're not going to live very long. If you don't have access to income, you're going to find yourself living in poverty. So if you're asking what the connection is between this pension fight and this health care fight for 10 years, there's a direct connection between that and those people suffering from pneumoconiosis. I heard one of my friends, Bethel Brock, speak uh, before uh, uh, He's breaking the session. Ask Bethel what it would be like not to have health care, not to have a pension that he'd earned. And you'll see what I'm talking about here. But when this started, uh, bankruptcies, uh, recession led to bankruptcies, 60-some bankruptcies in the coal field. And we said we're not going to take this uh, and standing idly by because bankruptcy courts just terminate pension plans, they terminate health care plans, sometimes they do away with miners' jobs. This started 10 years ago, and people said, you'll never get a dime out of coal companies because they don't have to give you any money, because the bankruptcy judge says they don't have to. First of all, Peabody and Arch and Patriot gave $400 million for 22, about 12,000 people who worked for them. And then we took that money and used it to get us up on Capitol Hill while we fought up on Capitol Hill from pensions and health care. Then in 2017, 
Congress passed legislation that gave health care to 22,600 people. And people said that was impossible, but we did it. And then they said, well, you're never going to get another nickel out of these people. And the last company paying into this 1974 pension plan, who also had, by the way, almost 12,000 retirees they were paying health care for, filed bankruptcy in October, and it was Maria. But in December, the Congress of the United States, after a 10-year fight, and it was the miners that did this, not me. It was the retirees that did this, not just the people here in this building. We put thousands and thousands of people at the doorstep of Peabody, Arch, a patriot. We had the largest rally in, a, in 40 years in Charleston, West Virginia. We put 13,000 people in Columbus, Ohio in 2018. We put 10,000 people up on the doorstep of Capitol Hill in 2016. And finally, finally in December, Congress passed legislation that funds our pension plan for now about 80,000 retirees, health care for an additional 12,000 people. So 30-some, almost 40,000 people have gotten health care because of activism. And that activism has to be coming from the coal fields. We've got people who haven't worked in the mines in Kentucky in years that participated in these rallies. Going to have to, or we're going to have to develop some kind of a plan to keep pressure on the people who make the laws in this country. So that was a year ago we were up on Capitol Hill. Do we have a silica standard today? No. Uh, do we have a way to met that, that we all agree or our MSHA has promulgated a rule that says that this is how we're going to measure silica? No. So we're in the same place right now with silica, the most threatening part of mining right now. And why? Why is it that we find these increased cases in West Virginia, Southern West Virginia, Eastern Kentucky, and Southwest Virginia? You don't have to have a degree to know there's something wrong in those areas, something happening in those areas that's not happening somewhere else. If indeed that is happening in that concentrated area, you could draw a few circle around that area and see this is the area where the most deadly uh, types of black lung disease originate. So if you know that, you, all you have to realize is there's something unusual here. And that unusual event is what? I think, I, in fact, I don't think, I know it's the fact that you're cutting into rock, creating uh, silica that people suck down in their lungs, damages. We see people in their 30s, 40s uh, with this disease, the most serious form of it. What did I say up on Capitol Hill? There's no cure for this. There's no cure for black lung. And there's certainly certainly no cure for the most serious types uh, of progressive massive fibrosis is the medical name for this. Uh, but I know what it's doing is killing people. So when we're up on Capitol Hill testify, and I want to commend the, uh, the medical community that helped us with this and testify. Black Lung Associations have helped with this and, and testified, and all of the all of the people involved in this at the clinics throughout the coal fields of this country. So, what is it? What's our biggest? What is our biggest obstacle here? 
biggest obstacle is not necessarily these people up on Capitol Hill, although those are the people we have to convince. Every time you look at this situation, just look at the history of this fight. I'm the enemy. I'm. I tell, I tell people in speeches, well, this is the way Capitol Hill works. Your friends, your friends tell you to wait. Your enemies tell you no. At the end of the day, you're in the same place. Your friends tell you how to wait because they don't think you can get this, they can get this done. Your enemies tell you no because they don't think you deserve it. So look at the history of this fight. It wasn't until 1969 that we even recognized pneumoconiosis as an occupational illness. Time. Time. From 1968 to the present, it's estimated that, what, 78,000 people have died from this disease? That's probably a conservative number. But let's think about that for a minute. 1968 to the present, so that's a correct number. Those people all, for much of their career, many of those miners worked under the protection of the act. Now, that wouldn't be true for people from, say, 68 to 70, because they probably have most of their career without the protection. So time, by the time we, well, by the time we pass legislation, there's probably 100 and some thousand, 150,000, who knows what the number is, because we ignored this. We claimed it didn't exist when I say we, the industry did. And the government wasn't any better. The government said in the states it doesn't exist. In the capital hill, it doesn't exist. Doctors came in and testified that no such thing as pneumoconiosis. For 30, 40, 50 years, we heard that. Miners knew something was wrong, and they called it what? Miners' asthma. Are we really? Are we really in a society where miners themselves know something's wrong, but? But the professional is not. I, I thank God every day for the, the, the doctors that are interested in this and doctors who have come and gone and the years who've been interested in this. But we cannot go forward without realizing that time is not our friend here. Right now, as we're in this conference, we have to understand there's minors right now. And, and, and mining coal in southern West Virginia, eastern Kentucky, and southwestern Virginia, mostly not union, but that doesn't make any difference. They're human beings. They're, they don't have, they should not go to work and not come back. Go to work and come back sick. I'll tell you something you probably don't know. <clears throat> in this country, 50,000 people die a year from occupational illness. I'm not talking about black lung. I'm talking about all the occupational illnesses in this country. 50,000 people die every year. On the job, 14 people a day die. So 14 people a day get killed on the job in this country. 50,000 people a year die from occupational illness. And that's going to take me to the subject that all of us, the reason we're on a video here today, opposed to in person, is this pandemic. Who has been hit the hardest by the pandemic? Older people, poorer people, people without access to health care. 
And in many instances, that will be in the inner city where poor people do not have access to health care. But people we know, and we know a lot of people uh, who are struggling right now. The coal industry is shut down. Jobs aren't available. People are hunting for work. People are unemployed. We did a food bank uh, in Boone County about two weeks ago. And people were supposed to come in about around 11 o'clock. They were lined up at 9 o'clock. And one uh, young woman with kids was in line in her car and said, I'm, i got to confess, I'm not supposed to be here because I live in Raleigh County. And our people said, don't worry about it. If you're hungry, that's all that matters. So we've got food banks all over the country. We've got unemployed people probably in the neighborhood of 40 million people. The unemployment rate somewhere bouncing around 20% right now. We have more and more people without health care. Let me tell you one story. I won't mention who it Well, I don't think they mind. It, the hotel workers, H-E-R-E, one of the largest unions in the country. They have 300,000 members. Almost every one of their members are laid off. Can you imagine a union with 300,000 people? And they're all laid off. They, they work in hotels. They work in bars. And they work in restaurants, none of which are functioning anywhere near what they normally do. People don't even understand the magnitude of, of this, these economic conditions we find there. So we're in a recession, but we're bouncing around right now, in my opinion, towards a depression. Uh, I noticed this morning that Wall Street fell like a rock. I don't pay much attention to Wall Street because people I represent care more about the supermarket than the stock market because they don't have investments up on, camp, up on, and, and, uh, on Wall Street. So uh, we are in a terrible situation. So whenever this, this pandemic first hit, they had what they called essential and non-essential workers, right? Which is, to me, everybody's essential. But I want you to think about this. Do you realize that uh, this is something that people probably don't know? That people who were stocking shelves in supermarkets statistically had a more dangerous job than a coal miner underground because more grocery uh, shelf stockers died by this pandemic than coal miners, because coal miners, for whatever reason, have not been hit hard by this pandemic. And you would think it might be worse underground, but it's not. It's statistic. There's been nurses and doctors and people who are first responders die by the dozens in some of these large cities. And what do we, we do not have an OSHA standard. We're talking, we're complaining uh, about a civical standard. They didn't even issue a standard. I talk about OSHA for first responders and nurses and doctors and people treating folks dying. No standard. The AFLCO sued OSHA to say, you've got to promulgate a standard here. Nothing. Still don't. Uh, we asked Empson to promulgate a standard uh, for coal miners going underground. Nothing. Neither federal agency that looks after people who are not non-coal miners, that's OSHA, and coal miners, neither one have ever issued a standard. So what we need here, I think, is to say everybody should be protected. And I think how this links in to what we deal with. And I, 
I would imagine the medical community will agree with this. Uh, people suffering from pneumoconiosis, if they come in uh, contact and they contract this illness, they're in big trouble. Older people and people with respiratory problems are dying at a higher percentage than anybody. So we've got long, we've been going through this pandemic since we last gathered up on Capitol Hill. We've had no action from Capitol Hill since we were there, and things are worse uh, right now given this pandemic. That we're, and it's not gone away. We're what 113,000 people right now, or somewhere in that neighborhood. I, I try to look at that every other day, and it just keeps going up and up and up. And the professionals are telling us. We're going to lose 200,000 people where it's all said and done. So we we are trying to represent people that, that have black lung. We're trying to prevent people from contracting pneumoconiosis. We're trying to get standards established here by Capitol Hill, and we're trying to get the agencies to act. None of that has happened since we all were up on Capitol Hill trying to get something done, but we cannot stop we have to be proactive here. The clinics have to be voices of what they're seeing. And, and by the way, I think you've done a tremendous job of that, or people would not know uh, what the situation is. NIOSH has done great work here, but NIOSH did not identify all these more serious uh, uh, levels of PMF. The clinics did. And, and to a certain extent, the news media did. Now, I think NIOSH has done a good job since learning of this, and they have honed in on this. But the clinics are doing the Lord's work here with respect to that. So as we uh, gather up here on this day, about one year later, since we all work together, uh, all trying to do and try to get to the same place uh, together, um, we have a challenge on our hands, and I use this 10-year fight for pensions and health care to prove to you, establish to you, that it can be done, but you can't relent. Every day of my life for 10 years was dedicated. The union spent a lot of money to try to get this done, but it was the wasn't our money, it was it was the retirees' money to start with. They put it there. But no one has seen a success upon Capitol Hill for workers like it years. Years. It's almost hard to you can't hardly get people in Capitol Hill to agree to go to lunch at the same time. Let me broaden the conversation just slightly. This, this is not a Democratic or Republican issue, but let's, let me make it somewhat of a Democratic issue. This issue of trying to keep people employed in Appalachia is and something and, and that I'm obviously in part of. And every single entity that says, well, we need to do away with home mining, but we want to just transis transition. If I hear those two words very many more times, I'm going to probably pass out. Here's the thing. If you want to just transition in Appalachia, we'll put something behind the two words, okay? And I get tired of people saying, well, we'll train you to do something else. You've got many, many years, probably 30 years, of training miners who lose their jobs, and they could end up without health care, without a pension, and have what they, what they made with. 
we're going to let's put some money in Appalachia. Let's save these people's lives. Let's have a government that, that stops these this illness before it's too late. Uh, let's do the things that everybody on everybody that's participating in this could tell Congress that, that see, this afternoon what they needed to do to save people's lives. Let me say this. I tell our people all the time, I, I said the most important day to lobby is the day you vote. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for today, but when you send somebody to Washington, D.C., who's not for Social Security and Medicare, uh, it's not for doing something about pneumoconiosis and making your mind safer, don't expect me to change that person that you sent to Washington. Whatever views they had when they left the coal fields to go up to Washington, they're going to keep those views, and they're going to vote against the workers on these issues that are so extremely important to keep people alive. I would just say this. The people who gather every year at Pipe Stem, uh, I think what you're doing, and I'm, I marvel at, at the caliber of people who are, who are, who are trying to do something here. Uh, I'm so appreciative to be part of this. I work with a lot of the clinics. I'm actually, I was at a board meeting last night on the board at Cabin Creek Clinic have been for years. Um, we've worked closely with the New River Clinic, Cedar Grove Clinic, the Bluefield Clinic, I've been, I've Mercer County Clinic. I've been working with a lot of wonderful people here. And I want to thank you for what you do. I want to thank the doctors uh, that have worked so hard trying to save coal miners' lives. Uh, but I think most of all, I want to thank uh, uh, the coal miners themselves who have taken up this fight, even though they're ill and they struggle went up on Capitol Hill. Uh, thank you. Thank all of you. That was UMWA President Cecil Roberts, the final speaker at the 2020 West Virginia Association of Black Lung Clinics annual meeting. On Tuesday, June 16th, the UMWA filed a petition in federal appeals court asking the court to force the Mine Safety and Health Administration MSHA, to issue an emergency standard to protect vulnerable coal miners from the infectious COVID-19 disease. This is Mimi Pickering reporting. Thank you for listening. Making Connections is brought to you by WMMT Mountain Community Radio. Find out more at makingconnectionsnews.org.